All right, this is the beginning of the year, and you know all these resolutions. This time I'll do this. I'll lose a little weight. Maybe I'll lose a lot of weight, or maybe I'll get him to lose a lot of weight. There's a whole bunch of things. Um, and I don't know if God works on that kind of timetable. But beginnings of years are, are beginnings. And God usually uses beginnings to, uh, to help us stand back and think some things through. And maybe learn, well, appreciate where we've come from, but also learn from where we've come from. I mean, you can go through 2014 and go, this was great, this was great, this was great, this was not so great, this was okay, boy, I wish that hadn't happened. And, you know, life happens, but sometimes, is there a lot of feedback? Um, sometimes God wants us to maybe learn. And it's, I want to talk about that. And the learning has to do with focus. Uh, you'll see why in a minute. I want to start off with just a few scriptures and then to go into some stories about the life of David. Hoping that God will use this to help us focus. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is what God says. Well, Paul says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you want to know that this is true, it doesn't matter. This is one of the most beautiful, profound, and non-negotiable truths in the Bible. You didn't make you. God made you. I didn't make me. That God made us, but He didn't just make us. He never just made us and then wound us up and said, gosh, I wonder what's going to happen. Really. And then we go, I wonder what's going to happen. When God made us, he made us with certain ideas, certain plans about who we can become and why we're here. The two deepest questions of any human heart are, who am I really and why am I? Identity and purpose is such a big deal to every human being. Mike can lip sync this thing, but I'm going to tell this story. I'm doing it. I think it'll be the last time I do it. I wasn't going to do it, but I'm doing it for Mike's sake. I'll make it short. Imagine you're a lawnmower, but you don't know you're a lawnmower. You haven't read the book. You haven't talked to the manufacturer, but you're a lawnmower. And you, you're a self-starter, and you're powerful. You have no idea what to do with this. And then you see a pile of rocks. So you go to the pile of rocks. And guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to get dinged up and injured. And anything within your sphere of influence is going to get dinged up and injured. That's exactly what happens when we use how we are made for purposes for which we are not designed. This is huge. You can look at almost every area of your life, area of your life where I'm not talking where things aren't working as well as they could, or there's dings here, or you screw almost always it's because you took how you're made or how you thought you're made and used it for purposes for which you are not designed. I mean, we're made to, you know, we're, we're, we're made to, 
to, to, to, to love people. We're made to fall in love. We're made to get married. We're made to use our bodies to express our love. All that sort of stuff. But we take how we're made and we use it for purposes for which we're not made. It hurts our heart. It hurts our family. It hurts our kids. I think you know the story. Or sometimes we'll sit there and go, I don't know what I'm for, but I'll do what I know I can do. Or I'll do what I think I want. Uh, and, and then you do it, and you're okay with it, but you start going, is this all there is? Is this it? Just being good enough? When, and most human beings don't go, good enough is good enough. Survivor mentality. But we think, well, I'll just sort of get by. And I'll just try to be a good guy and just be good. And, okay. and it's like turning on your lawnmower on the pavement. Nothing happens, but you sure sound good. <laughs> but every so often, especially when we're taking off the rock pile, there we are. We're all dinged up, and we realize we're dinged up, and you know we're, we, we can't fix ourselves. We decide to read the manual, and we decide to start talking to the manufacturer. And we find out we're not rock polishers. What we find out is we're lawnmowers. And, and so what we're doing, we start cutting lawns. Now, initially, it's a little awkward because we're used to thinking that we're rock polishers. But instead, well, we, yeah, we're lawnmowers, so we're going to try it. And, you know, it's really hard. Look, a lot of guys, a lot of guys, look, I'm a guy. So I'm supposed to take care of my family, love my wife, love my kids, don't do harm to them. But, you know, it's just, I'm just going to be a guy. I'm just going to be a guy. I'm going to go, you know, and during the hunting season, I'm going to go kill things and show pictures of it. And, you know, and then, you know, just celebrate with my friends and drink, you know, six packs of root beer. And there we are. And, it, hey, it's good. It's good. Okay? Until you start reading the manual. And you start talking to your manufacturer. And it's not like there's this little side job called husband. Side job. You know, it's like, you were actually made for this. Doesn't mean you have to give up hunting. But there's something about, wait a second, what I'm doing actually has value. Anyway, and it takes an adjustment for some guys. They think their idea of success, do this, make money, and all that sort of stuff. But when it's actually, find out what you were made for and start learning how to live that way, and boy, things will happen. So you're this lawnmower, and you go, oh, I'm so used to rocks. Can I do rocks every so No, I'll give up rocks. And you cut the lawn. There you are, you're cutting the lawn, and all of a sudden you start going, I am a lawnmower. I may not be good at it, but I'm a lawnmower. And they go, wow, I'm starting to get good at it. I think I'm going to try to improve my who I am. And so you start cutting all the grass. Instead of just a little, you know, going around. And then you say, I think I'll make nice straight lines. Especially in rural Minnesota. Straight lines are very important for you guys. <laughs> all right? So you do all that, and then you go, wow, this is great. You're excellent at all this sort of stuff. Little lawnmowers come from around the community to come and say, show us how to cut the grass. And so you're all good. And then when people drive by, you know, the house, they do not say, man, I got to meet that lawnmower. Hopefully they wouldn't do that. What they'd go is, whoever owns that house really takes care of his lawn. This, this is what it means. God is the only one who has the answers to who am I really and why am I really. He's the only one. 
because he made us. And when we say, okay, your idea is better, I will try doing it your way and you grow into it, guess what happens? It's awkward. Your old habits mitigate against it, you know, and there are other people go, man, you could try again, try to be a rock polisher. There's something about, as you start going it, a deeper sense of satisfaction comes. Deeper sense of satisfaction. And as you grow in it, not only are you more satisfied, but God gets the, the attention. You walking in who you are and why you are and growing in that satisfies the human soul and that glorifies God. Okay? So th- this is a big deal. Now, each of us have different callings. Each of us have different missions. Each of us, you know, very unique gifts and things. But overall, we all share the same, same, same calling. I know that sounds weird, but welcome to the kingdom. In John chapter 20, Jesus introduces the idea that we're here on a mission. We are here on a mission. The church is not the social club, and this is certainly not a social club. But the church is not a social club where the primary thing is for us to get our needs met and be part of a family. That's part of it. But the primary reason why we have church is so we can be equipped so we can walk out our mission. First part of that mission, John chapter 20, Jesus says, peace be with you. Have you ever had to tell challenging news to someone? And the first thing you do is say, hey, before I tell you this, could you just sit down? Just sort of chill. I got something to tell you. That's what Jesus is doing. He's going, peace be with you. Like, relax, because this is going to rock your world. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Think about it. That you were, you were born, and then you were born again, brought into the family of God, and you're in the process of getting on the rock pile, finding out you know, you know, what you were really made for, and then you find out, wait a second, I'm on a mission? This church is on a mission? Many people don't know they're on a mission. Many people go, wait a second. I signed up to have God save me, make my life better. But what's this? I didn't choose to be on a mission. I didn't choose. Whose idea was that? And Jesus will smile at you and go, mine. Many of us are on a mission, and we don't even know it. Or many of us know we're on a mission and we don't want to know it. Am I the only one? Whoever's laughing, God bless you. You're making me feel good. Unless you're saying, boy, this is the most stupid thing I ever heard. And, and we all have different expressions of this mission, but Matthew 20, 28 is it's the, the thing that frames everything. Whatever you're called to do, whatever you're good at, you know, go for it but it's designed for you to experience your part of what is called the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I want you to go. Go where? He doesn't tell us. Isn't that weird? The mission has nothing to do with the destination. The mission has to do with what you do along the way. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to go and train a whole bunch of different kinds of people. Father and mother, 
all kinds of people so that they can receive Christ and help bring other people into the kingdom so they can train them. This is the plan. This is, this is so big. You know, fathers, you know what our primary job is? To shepherd our wives so she can be everything we need her to be, right? No. Some guy's going, I'd sign up for that. No, our job is to, to nurture and develop our wives so they can be everything they're called to be. That our kids, there they are, our first disciples. How can we father them, pour, be an example so they can be you know, Christ lovers and world changers? I mean, this is not pie in the sky. This is where the rubber meets the road. Our mission doesn't start and end on Sunday. I know you know that. We are on a mission. It's sort of like wherever we go, our job is to live in such a way to, to just make disciples. Now, I'm not saying this to make you go, oh gosh, I'm not, I'm not doing good enough. I want to get you to a place where you go, I'm on a mission, and there's some things I can do to experience more of the mission. First point is, whether we like it or not, if you're a Christian, you are on a mission. We are sent by Jesus the same way Jesus was sent by the Father. You know, to bring light to darkness, to bring hope and compassion where there's hopelessness and emptiness. That, that, that's why we're here. It's great to know you're on a mission, but there's more. You need to embrace the mission. Listen, one of the marks of spiritual maturity surely is, you've got to know your Bible. That's a good idea. Um, and probably a mark of spiritual maturity, or at least experience, is you know the songs. Okay? Um, but there are other things like, as we grow in real life faith and real life circumstance, we have to actually have to depend more in God than ourselves. To the extent we do that, that's maturity. Here's, a, here's another one. To the extent, I mean, it's a growth. It's a continuum. To the extent that we love people the way Jesus loves us, then to that extent, we are maturing. There's another criteria or another aspect of maturity that many times is overlooked and i'm not cutting on the culture here but this kind of this kind of maturity it's sort of hard for people to go after it in this culture and let me read this philippians chapter 3 paul's saying this not that i have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal but i press on to take hold of that for which christ jesus took hold of me i'll just say that again I haven't arrived, not doing everything right. I don't know what the fullness of me looks like. I don't know what a perfectly cut lawn looks like. But this is something I will do. I'm going to forget what's behind, and I'm going to lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of me. I mean, I don't even know what it will look like. I don't know if I'm even going to like it, but I know God's answers to the deepest part, um, questions of my heart. I know they're the right ones, so I'm going to start laying a hold of that. Many people, they lay, I'll, I'll lay a hold of God and I'll lay a hold of my dreams and I'll see if I can coordinate them. God says, look, a mark of maturity is start laying a hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of you. Many people, and I'm one of them, try to be good to be good. And that's good. But God wants us to learn to grow and mature for a purpose not just to be good people, but to use our goodness to make a difference. When I talk about vision and purpose, 
It doesn't have to be a grand thing, but there are certain things that are important that go, they're bigger than who we are. I mean, I know some very brave, heroic soldiers. I'm at Fayetteville. We're right next to Fort Bragg. I got some really, really, really good friends with special forces. And, and they don't play around. But the Christian guys, you know, I just ask them, so why do you fight? And they, go, and they mean it. They go, I'm fighting to protect my country. And I'm fighting to protect my family. And, and they believe it. They just believe it. Whether or not you agree with war and all that, that's not the point. But have you ever met someone that they live their life on the basis of vision and purposes and values that are bigger than who they are? I know people, their family's just not doing so good. And you go, why do you go to church? Why do you go to men's group? You know, why don't you just can't survive? No, man, I know. me and my wife, we could survive. We could just settle. But I know there's more. I know there's more. And I want to experience more because if I get to experience more, I'll have more to hand out my children. And my children go into their future with a lot more than I did. And they live with a vision that's bigger than their own life. And they make decisions based on not what's going on right now. It's based on how does this fit in with the things that are really important. Even the future that I can't even see. Not only are we called to embrace the mission, we're called to navigate this thing. When we say, God, I'm going to be on your mission, I'm going to lay a hold of it, then you're up for an adventure. I mean... You're all over the place. There's so many things. And along the way, God gives us clear, clear guidance on how to navigate our mission, how to navigate our purpose. And this is in Hebrews, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, if you can just get a vision of this, wherever you are in your walk with God, and you're discouraged, you don't think you can do it, and you go, well, I'll just stay with the same old, same old, whatever. Think about it. There's a great cloud of witnesses. People who have been martyred. People who have died in the faith. People who have done their best but didn't experience everything that God had for them. But there they are. They're in heaven. They're watching. And they're, they're not taking bets on whether or not you're going to make it. There's no lottery up there. There's a whole bunch of people who are going, come on! You can do this! All heaven, there's a great cloud of witnesses saying, look, forget what's behind. There's so much that God has for you. Keep going. I mean, think about that. And so he goes, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us negotiate the things that compete with our calling. No, it says, throw off. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with perseverance the race or the purpose that's marked out for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're going to talk about what it is to fix our eyes on Jesus real quickly. But think about it. If you're an athlete, or better, this is even better. Let's say you fall in love with that wonderful woman. She's godly, she's pure, and, and she said, you gotta, you gotta, if you want me, you're going to have to show me that you got what it takes. And, it's like, and, and so you just run after her. You do whatever it takes. I mean, you could go hang out with the boys. You could do this. You could, you could, you could sit there and you know, wear smelly socks. You could do all that sort of stuff, but you know she doesn't like smelly socks. So you make sure your socks are clean. 
and, and, and you know, she doesn't like Burger King, right? She likes Applebee's. But you love Burger King. But you like, and what you do is, the things that would get in the way of your getting close to her, what do you do? You throw them off. You go, Burger King, her, have it your way. I mean, there's just something about... No, you do, that's what you do when you're in love, when you're committed to something beyond yourself. You throw it away. Guys, when they finally get it, they go, you know, they're, they're thinking of maybe they could have a little something-something with their secretary. Or maybe I'll just watch a little bit about this. And, you know, and you, you know it's sin, you know it's bad. But all of a sudden you get the idea, man, this thing, if I continue in this, I could lose it all. And I'm not going to negotiate with this. I'm, I'm going to be like Joseph. I'm going to throw this thing off. I'm going to run away from it. You just go, ish. That's what you say here when you say, I've had it with sin. You go, ish. Isn't that what you all do, ish? I don't know if you do this thing, but you say ish. I've heard you. <laughs> when you're an athlete and you want to win, you, the night before, some, oh, why don't you go out and have a couple beers with us? Let's go do this. Go, no, 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 I'm in training. I got a game tomorrow. Oh, come on. Wait. Isn't it amazing when there's something beyond ourselves that we're committed to? When there's a race or a purpose that really matters to us? Isn't it amazing what we will do? We'll go, I'm, forget this. This is not worth not getting this. Sometimes there are some really good things that if we hold on to them, they'll get in the way of the great things. And many people, well, this is good. What's so bad about it? Nothing. But if you're really laying hold to everything that God has, sometimes you've got to lay a hold of some, you've got to let go of some good old things so you can embrace the new things. So I, I know this makes sense to you, hopefully. Here's a couple things that's always good to throw off. Always. One is grumbling. No, this is huge. Grumbling and complaining and criticizing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God tells the people of Israel, I got this great promise for you. There's a a purpose for your life that you're currently not experiencing. It's out there. Keep going and all that. And many of them never made it. How come they never made it? One is they engaged in sexual immorality. The other one is they engaged in idolatry. But then God added this other thing that just, if I were God, I wouldn't have put it in there. Grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining about your job. Grumbling and complaining about your success or failure. Grumbling and complaining about your Grumbling and complaining about your spouse. Grumbling. There's something about grumbling and complaining that is very natural to us. But actually, God says, that is your commentary on my lordship over your life. That you're really making a commentary that, that my workmanship isn't nearly as good as the workmanship you would be displaying if you were God. Isn't that a killer? I just shot my offering, right? No, but... It, <laughs> no, but in Philippians chapter 2 it says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Why? Because to the extent that we grumble then to, the extent, to that extent we can't see the things that God has for us. We can't, we can't see the vision and purpose that God has for whatever we're going through. And there's another one, 1 John chapter 2. 
It says, anyone who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Everybody knows they have a purpose, hopefully. Everybody knows you have a calling. And I'm saying this is all the time, but many times people are going, I don't know what God has for me. And he won't show them because he wants them first to forgive. Unforgiveness, bitterness, unresolved disappointment produces a spiritual blindness. And we can, do, we can do okay, but we really don't know where we're going. We really don't have a sense of purpose. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons why Jesus says, look, why don't you forgive people the way I've forgiven you? And you know, your, your soul will be lighter, but you'll see more clearly the purposes for which God wants you to, to live your life. Make sense? But I, it's not enough to throw off. It's just focusing. I mean, athletes, why do you throw this off? Why do you change your diet? Why do you change your friends? Why do you change your routine? Why do you do all this? Because I have an idea of what I'm after. I'm focusing on that. And here it says, focus on Jesus. Now, this is pretty weird. If I tell you, go focus on Jesus, you go, great. Another spiritual cliche that I have no idea what it means. Okay? No idea. Right? Keep my eye on Jesus. What is that? I'm going to give you some lessons. Some lessons from the life of David which will help us learn to focus on Jesus in the way that Jesus wants us to focus on him. Okay? Story from David. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, I'm going to start verse 20, but I think you have it. It starts 28. No, I'll just paraphrase it. You, hopefully you know the story. There's the people of God, and there's uh, the Philistines, there's the valley, the little brook. And uh, uh, Goliath, he keeps on coming down, and he goes, you guys are cowards. How come you won't fight? Why don't you bring one man to fight me? Give me your best man. We'll fight it out, and then whoever wins owns the other side. If I win, Philistines own you. If you win, then, then you guys own us. And nothing ever happened. Nobody ever came down the mountain. And, and Goliath would sit there and taunt. It says, yeah, great God you have. A lot of courage you have. Oh, great people of God. You can sing on the mountain, but you can't fight in the valley. All this sort of stuff. And he's just like banging his shield. And, all, and everybody's going, oh, what are we going to do? It says that people were just very afraid. They just wanted to sing and have a good time up on the mountain, but to actually fight against the big bad boogeyman, the enemy, they're just not going to do that. One day, David, who's just a, you know, a young man, he's taking food to his brothers who are in the army. And as he's doing this, he sees Goliath and he hears Goliath defile and defame the people of God and God himself. And David's sitting there going, is anybody really hearing this? Isn't anybody just a little upset? And then David goes, is there a reward for taking this guy out? Is there a reward? I mean, this is a bad guy. He's doing bad things. And what's worse, he's on our land. He's on our inheritance. He's stealing from us. Is there a reward for taking this guy out? And you know, one of the, a couple of people said, oh yeah, that's a reward. Get a lot of money, you get the girl probably get like you know a corvette 
you know, and a great pickup and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, you'll get it, but the king knows nobody will ever get it because someone goes down to fight them. They're going to get killed. So back and forth, and David's going, someone should take care of this guy. And everybody knows David's starting to get wound up. He's going, I think I might be that guy. All right? So David is looking at something that is beyond who he is. He's looking at the purposes of God. He's looking at the vision of God for God's people. He, 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 and he's still not an authority. He's just a kid. And he sees kingdom value beyond what everybody else is experiencing. He's like, shouldn't we do something about this? And then verse 8, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. And he says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave your few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So here it is. David has starting to grow a vision for something that's way beyond himself. And then a family member, someone close to him, says, I know you're looking at this, but who do you think you are? Yes, you're being irresponsible. And besides, you're just being selfish, right? I know none of you have those problems, but poor David did. Now, I want you to see what David's response was. It, it was, it was it's, I want you to see it. David said two things. First thing he says, now what have I done? Which means this kind of conversation had gone on at home. And not, it wasn't what have I done, but it's like now what have I done? Meaning he's always being picked up. There was some sort of dysfunction in his family. And you know, people who were close to him really weren't that close to him. And they treated him like a runt, picked on him. And were, you know what I'm saying? Always questioning his motives and say, look, oh, we don't want to talk to you. Just take care of the stinky sheep. Now, in many translations, the next thing that David says is, can I say anything? David, in some translations it goes, now what have I done? Can I say anything? And it makes David like sort of whiny, but I, it didn't feel right. So I started looking at different translations, and with the help of people who are experts, I started looking at the Hebrew, and actually, don't take offense, the King James got it right here, and yeah, which to me is shocking, but they got it right because that, that th- where it says, can I even speak, there's a word there <clears throat> called debar, and it means prophetic perspective Prophet, or, or another way of saying it is there not a larger cause and so in the king james his response to eliab was this now what have i done and then he just pivots and goes is there not a cause right then he he got hit with the potential distraction he got hit with a familiar distraction the same thing, all that other garbage. But instead of wrestling with it, instead of being distracted by it, instead of playing with it, instead of arguing it, instead of putting off the important things for the tyranny of the urgent, you know what he went? Now what have I done? Is there not a cause? Sometimes you just got to stand back and go, wait a second. What's important here? No matter how familiar this is, how important is this? You and your wife get into the same argument. Sometimes it's good. Wait a second. Is there not a cause? Like a relationship that we enjoy, that, that, that is really fun, and it's meaningful, and it gives glory to God. Is that what we want? 
or do we want to keep with this pick and pick, 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 pick? Is there not a cause? Or there's even guys who go, look, I know God's got a call for me, but I like to be lazy, and I want to do video games until I'm 32, right? And, you know, so what? And, you know, God's not going to strike him dead, but sometimes a young man has got to go, is there not a cause? Isn't there something that's important, that's beyond me, that's worth changing my habits? And I guess David had to practice this, but I'm telling you, how many, the tyranny of the urgent, the tear, I mean, you know, you're sitting there, you're talking, and, and I do it too. I mean, my wife, she's, she's helped me out a lot in this, but I can have a great meaningful conversation if the phone call comes off, uh, goes off, I will grab the phone. And what I have just said is, no matter how important it, this is, this thing, which I know not what it is, this thing <laughs> is more important than this. And my wife actually said, honey, I know you believe this, but isn't family time more important than that call? And I went, oh, that hurt. But she was right. So he goes, now what have I done? Is there not a cause? He just pivots and says, and then he turned away to someone else and he brought up the same matter. He got back on track. He got back on track. And then he started saying things like, don't let anybody be disheartened. I'm going to take this boy out. Many times, many times, we know there's something more. And there are these distractions that God allows in our life. When we go, when we nibble on it and go, wait a second, is there not a cause? Guess what happens when we make that? It, God gives us strength to not just see the cause, but start living the cause. Start living the ideals, the dreams that we know God has put in when you say no to that thing that give us, gives us strength to go further into the thing that we've said yes to. Another way of putting this is, this is a kind of spiritual warfare for which God has got a really easy solution. A lot of, you know, battle your thoughts, battle your, This is what I do. We're told to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You know what that is? You know how to do it? It's so simple. This will be the best thing you take away from, the, from this thing. When there are things that you know from a kingdom perspective are very important, and there are all these distractions. It could be external or it could be, oh, you'll never make it. Whatever it is, those thoughts to say, God, what do you think of those? What do you think? Of I'm, it's so simple, it's scary. I'm gonna t- is there not a cause? Lord, you know these distracting thoughts, these condemning thoughts? I'm not going to battle them. I'm not going to out-truth them. I'm not going to read the Bible aloud to that. that. That's way too... You just go, Lord, you know these thoughts about how no good, good I am or what will people think and all this sort of stuff or I'm too young or I'm too old? or God, what do you think about it? We take captive our thoughts and fix them ourselves? No, we make them obedient to Christ. I'm telling you. That's sort of what David did. He, had a, he started to develop a vision from God and there were these distractions and old familiar things. And he went, is there not a cause? And he just took that thing and said, whatever. And then he went on with what God had, had to say. 1 Samuel chapter two, uh, 22. The story is, David ser- served Saul. Saul 
um, was not a very good king. He was not a very good spiritual father. When he saw David starting to grow and flourish, he started getting jealous. So instead of encouraging him, he started th throwing you know, um, uh, spears at him. And so he had to run. He had to run. There, uh, many of us have been hurt by church. We've been hurt by people. And there comes a time where there's a limit to loyalty. There's a limit to your perseverance. You go, man, I'm checking out. I'm going to run. That's what David did. He runs. He runs first into a cave. Bad idea. Because Saul's after him. And you know, caves usually don't have back doors. Okay? It was a bad idea for that. But it was even worse when he got in the cave and he's going, I'm safe. Then all of a sudden there's a Zippo lighter in the back. And all of a sudden there's 400 other people. 400 people who are more messed up than him. And they go, look, a leader. Right? And so David's like, oh, this is a bad day. You know? <laughs> do I give myself to lead these losers? Or should I just run out of the cave and get killed by Saul? I was, what do I do? Right? And then he realized, man, I can't stay in this cave. It's a dangerous thing. So he comes out and he runs into what is called a stronghold or a castle. And there he is. He's in a castle. He's got 400 losers with him. He's got his family with him. It's so great. He's safe. He's behind high walls, thick walls. And the bad things that hurt him in the past can't hurt him now. He's behind high, safe, thick walls. Only problem is that before all this happened, he knew that God had called him to be a king. He knew there was more for his life than he was currently experiencing. He knew it. Samuel came to give him a prophetic word, poured oil on him, and the Holy Spirit came on him. It was a good day at the office. And so here he is. He's sitting there going, wow, all these hurts, all these pains. I now have come into the safe place, and here's where I'm going to live. If he had stayed there, he would have been safe, but he would have been deeply unsatisfied. So God told a prophet, to go to him in the stronghold. And this is what he said. But the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Go on to the land of Judah, which turned out was where more of his destiny was revealed. The stronghold was provided for a period of time. But the stronghold is not supposed to be our home. The place of safety the place of, I don't want anybody to hurt me the way I was hurt before. That's not our home. That's not our home. So you know what David did? Prayed about it. Brought in a whole bunch of counselors inside his... I mean, he did all this sort of stuff. And I'm not against counseling. I'm so into inner healing. But there comes a time when staying behind walls of safety that they don't help us they hinder us. There's some guys who go, man, I want to learn how to do this guy thing. I want to learn how to be a better husband. But I've been behind these walls of safety. I think I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to get this train out of the station. I'm going to start doing it. Now here's the thing about David. He, he came out and all the things that had chased him in, they were still out there. How did he overcome the things that had chased him in? By coming out from the wall of safety and laying a hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of him. He started moving forward. And wait, there's more. When David came out of the stronghold, those 400 losers, they followed him. And those 400 losers became David's mighty men. No pressure. No, really, when you go, look, I'm tired of using where I've been as an excuse for not moving forward. How do I get out of this taking steps? When you take steps forward, 
not only will you get stronger, you'll overcome the things that have gotten in the way. And you will make a way for the people that you say you love. Keep your focus here. I'm not doing it just for me. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for future generations. I'm doing it for the people who are watching. Is there not a cause? The last one is pretty straightforward. Second Samuel, when David returned home to bless his household, you know what had happened? They had had the ark, you know, uh, and, and people would come to it, but God's, God told David, why don't you take the ark into the city? Why don't you take the presence of God? That's sort of a metaphor like, let's make the primary purpose of the ark outreach instead of inreach. So he takes it out, and they're having a little party. Of course, a couple people died because he did it wrong, but he brought it in, and people were really happy. David especially going, wow. We're getting to fulfill our version of the Great Commission. We're reaching out. We're touching lives. The whole city is going crazy. Isn't this great that Christianity is not a social club? It's not a place where the the arrows are pointed. It's going out. People are touched by God. Isn't this great? I'm so happy I'm going to dance. And when a Jewish king starts dancing, ooh, baby. All right, so he's dancing. He's having a great time. But then he comes home. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael's daughter um, Michael, da- daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the kings of Israel has uh, distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She was like the church lady. She was the first church lady. <laughs> well, isn't that special? Some king you are. What do people think? Isn't that special? Right, it's really great. You get you're hungry, God, we have great things, and you go home, your husband's not quite where you are. And you go, this is great. And he goes, isn't that special? Big, fat, hairy deal. You're a little embarrassing, honey. You know, don't, if you speak in tongues, I just want to hear it. I mean, there's just stuff like that, like something that will just push you down. And you know what David did? I'll just paraphrase. He goes, sweetheart, I wasn't doing it for you. I wasn't doing it for me. It was unto the Lord. Have you ever taken steps of faith to go beyond what you're currently experiencing? And people go, what are you doing? Isn't that weird? And you go, maybe weird. And if this goes any further, it may get weirder. I, became, I may become more abandoned to Jesus. This could get dangerous. Right? And there'll always be some church lady going, well, isn't that special? And if you don't have people going, isn't that special? You'll have the enemy going, isn't that special? Just look at yourself. There's a kind of self-consciousness that is very kingdom-oriented. But there's another kind of self-consciousness that is really the fear of man. What will people think? What if I fail? What will people think? You know what David did? He goes, I might fail. It might be embarrassing. But this is unto the Lord. This is unto the Lord. I'm going to keep going. He had his focus. We know that the fear of man is a snare. This is the, one of the most incredible churches I've ever seen. And I'm not flattering you. Mike knows if I flatter someone because I want to flatter him, he'll just go, stop it. Stop flattering. But really. But the kingdom of God is always advancing. Always. So there's always opportunities for us to go, is there not a cause? There are always opportunities to say, isn't it time for me to take a step out of my place of safety? There's always opportunities in the future where we go, wait a second, this is really great, this is really God. I'm not going to let the opinions of people get in the way 
of my experiencing more fully who I am and why I am. This is what I feel. There's no altar call. There's no, you know, come up and, you know. But if you feel like you've been in David's position, that in your heart you want to move apart, but people are just sort of being mean to you, usually because they don't understand. And you don't want to be mean back. You want to be an example of Christ-like love. But in your heart, you're troubled by moving ahead. Or there's some things that you know got you stuck. There's a stronghold. And you know God's saying, come on, let's get the train out of the station. Or there are these very familiar distractions. Very familiar distractions. As you start, you're starting to go get momentum in these distractions. Put you in a place where you want to say, isn't there a cause? Really? We're really going to deal with this when this is at stake? If any of that resonates with you, I don't want you to come up, but I want to pray for you that God would give you the grace to go, I'm coming out of the stronghold, or I'm going to take my stand and say, I'm going to focus on the cause, not the distractions. Or, you know something? I'm tired of trying to be safe and secure. I'd like to take some first steps to start experiencing more of who I am and why I am. If, if anybody here would say, I would like you to pray for that, please stand. Just please stand. You all want to stay right where you're at. I love old people. I, I, I mean, old people, is anybody older than me? Seriously, I love when the old people go, you know, I want more. I love this church. Lord Jesus, this is not a matter of asking for forgiveness. But God, we, we ask that you would give us grace to uh, have a renewed sense of purpose that is beyond what we're currently experiencing and even beyond our small ideas of, of what we're to do. We were made for a purpose that would be deeply satisfying but also bring great glory to you. Lord, for those of us who are starting to get a momentum, a sense of vision, a sense of cause, and there are the familiar distractions, the familiar attacks, the familiar difficulties, God, I ask that you would give my friends, at least in their heart, they don't have to yell it, in their heart they could be able to pivot and go, wait a second, is there not a cause? When they, try to, when they start getting drawn into same old, same old fights, they can go, wait a second, is there not a cause? Honey, I don't want to fight with you. Let's cool down. Let's pray. I love you more than winning a fight. God, I ask that you would help each of us to be able to just pivot and go, wait a second, is there not a cause? And God, I ask that you would give hope. Hope is, hope is very powerful. That we, we could learn to live in our place of safety. We may know there's more, but it's scary out there. God, I ask that hope would come to our hearts and we would start coming out of our walls of safety and moving forward into more of what you have for us. And God, I ask that you would, you would massage out of us the familiarity of the fear of man. That we'd be able to know what you want and we just take steps to live that out and 
even though we're afraid, even though we're concerned what people might think. Sometimes we have to be sensitive to that, but even though we go, wait a second, this is for the Lord, the discomfort of what other people might think is not nearly important as experiencing what you have for me. God, I ask that this would grow, this attitude would grow in every heart. In the name of Jesus.